Amen. Thanks for coming. <laughs> I love that. So we showed that last year, and I made them show it again this year because I just think it's so cool. Hey, a um, couple other quick announcements. Uh, those of you who were here uh, last winter, uh, Rock and Bev spent the first quarter with us. Uh, Rock has been serving as our mentoring pastor. Uh, he's just a brilliant teacher and a wonderful mentor for me, uh, but for us as a church. And he and Bev are going to do this thing called Love After Marriage. Uh, and here's the deal. It's a huge commitment, and every couple in the room ought to seriously pray about doing it. It uh, costs a little bit, about $80. Well, not about $80. Actually, it is $80. Um, and it's going to be 12 weeks, but it also includes a couple Fridays and Saturdays. Um, and it's, it's just good. And if you got to sit under Rock and Bev's teaching, you just know that God has given them a message. They have done this uh, conference in Egypt. They've really done it all over the world. And we just get the privilege of them living here uh, for the next few months. They're coming uh, early January and staying all the way through the end of March. And so I would say if you're married and your marriage is good, you should do it. If you're married and your marriage is not so good, then you should do it. So I'm not sure if there's anything in between that, but if there is, you should do it. Yeah, you guys are picking up on it. Uh, and again, guys, this would be a great way for you to lead your family. Uh, just say, I really think we should do this and sign your, your uh, wife up and you up and, and be a part of it. So the love after marriage is huge. Um, and then I just want to talk for a second about what's coming up in January. We're going to do uh, a series called Resolve. And the truth of the matter is, uh, only 8% of the people are going to keep their New Year's resolution. 50% uh, of you won't even make it through January. 50% uh, of us, I'm not trying to pick on you, won't even make it through January with our resolutions. But we're going to talk about some resolutions that are worth making and worth keeping, and we're going to do that out of the book of Ephesians. Uh, so I just encourage you to make a uh, point of being here uh, early in January and then through the beginning of February as we just talk about some resolutions that are worth making. So Merry Christmas. I guess I didn't know we weren't allowed to say it. Thanks for pointing that out, Paul, and now I feel guilty. Hey, uh, our prayer for the last few weeks, really for the last month, has been um, sort of sometimes what happens is God sort of all gives us the same thing, and, and we've all have felt like uh, we need to experience Christmas anew, that it's pretty easy to move through this. Um, John's been talking to us a lot the last few weeks about really the call to worship that comes out of Christmas, and it's just really easy uh, for all kinds of reasons, to move through the season and not to have and receive everything that God has for you uh, in this amazing Christmas season. So our prayer for you, our prayer even today, is that you may experience something new, that you may hear something new, that if not new, that it would be uh, fresh for you. But I want to have a little bit of fun, and it'll all make sense if you just stay with me. I want to talk about idioms. You know what an idiom, idiom is? An idiom is an, an expression or a group of words that are common to a person or a group of people. So families have idioms. We actually have idioms here at the church, and we'll talk about some of those. But I put it out on Facebook and uh, started asking people, what are some of your family idioms? It was a blast. If you're not on Facebook and you friend me, you can go and read them. It was probably one of my favorite and probably one of the busiest posts I've ever made. Uh, some of them I got. Some of them I have no idea what they mean. Um, but they're your family idiom, so it doesn't matter. But I'm just going to read you a few of, of the ones I got. So be a leader, not a follower. We've probably all heard that idiom. Uh, nothing good happens after midnight. I may have even said that one a few times, but we've all heard it. Uh, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times. Don't exaggerate. I like that one. 
Uh, I'd never heard this one before, but I tend to agree. If your brain is stupid, your whole body will suffer. (laughs) Yep. Uh, It's a first world problem. I love that one. We've used that one in my home. A bored person is a boring person. I'd never heard that one, but I tend to agree. Uh, Don't do anything to limit your options in life. And what I loved about this post is in parentheses after they said face tattoos come to mind. (laughs) Yep, I agree. Uh, What's the next one? It was, it is what it is, but it becomes what you make it, right? Uh, This is my favorite. I would like you all to pay close attention to this one. (laughs) I didn't even read it yet. You're already laughing. You're such a late church. You are so consistently late, I don't even have to read it. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Nothing worthwhile is easy, right? In our house, we have a couple. Uh, one is that was given to us a long time ago by a pastor. If you yell at your kids, it's because you're too lazy to do the hard work. Oh, yeah. You should, all you parents, you should write that one down. And it's really a bummer. When you're yelling at your kids, you can hear that in the back of your mind. Uh, The other one that we use that has saved us a lot of grief is if it's funny later, it's funny now. So if we're going to sit around the kitchen table and laugh in 10 years about the turkey being burned, then we might as well sit around the table and laugh now. And this one has saved us a lot of grief in our family. Sometimes we even ask ourselves, is this going to be funny later? Yes. Okay. Well, we might as well enjoy the moment. Saves a lot of stress in it. So around here, we have some that we've used, and I think some of these will sound familiar. Immeasurably more. You've been hearing me say immeasurably more for three years. That's just really that picture that God wants to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine, according to the power of the Spirit that's at work within us. Uh, One of the things the staff has heard me say, I'm not sure I say it a lot from up here, is culture is shaped by the questions you ask and the words that you use. If you want to know how to change the culture in your home, begin to ask different questions. If your kids come home from school every day and you ask them who they served at school today, then guess what? Then you're creating a culture of servanthood, because you're asking them every day, who'd you serve? If you ask them about their grades, if whatever it is you're asking your kids over and over drives the culture of your family, same's true here. So if we ask you all the time, are you connected? Are you in a small group? We're changing the culture. We're pushing the culture towards small groups. So the words we use, the questions we ask, uh, you hear me say this all the time from the front, the movement of God in your life always starts with an invitation, right? Excuse me, what is God inviting you to Where's the invitation of God today? There's always invitations going on all around you. Uh, Another one that you'll hear me say even probably today a few times is context matters. So when we look at the scriptures or life, we need to look at the context of what's going on. So we're going to use two idioms today to kind of frame the talk. And the first one is one that you've probably heard said, or if you were at church with the staff on Thursday, you saw somebody wearing it. But it is, uh, Jesus is the reason for the season. So Denny showed up, didn't know I'd written this sermon, and he showed up in this really attractive sweatshirt. We weren't even having a contest this day. Um, Sorry, Denny. Uh, So Jesus is the reason for the season. You've heard that, right? It's on bumper stickers. People put in decals in the back of their windows, buttons, whatever it is, right? And then the other idiom that, that we use here a lot is familiarity breeds complacency. It goes back to where I started. That when we hear something over and over, we begin to be just kind of take it for granted. So Jesus is the reason for the season. Familiarity breeds, con, con, familiarity breeds complacency. Uh, there's a tension in there, right? Like we can know that the first is true, but we can also know in our hearts that the second has been, come true for us right? And it's easy for us to move through the Christmas season without being moved in a profound way. And it is a pretty profound story. Yet we're no longer stunned by the truth of the incarnation. 
know, the incarnation just means that the God of the universe, just means, there I just did it, didn't I? It means that the God of the universe became human. That's what the incarnation means. And that's, that in itself is impossible for us to wrap our minds around. But it is an amazing truth that we need to sink into. Jesus really is the reason for the season. And familiarity really does breed this passiveness, this complacency about a story. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to jump into the scriptures and see what God has to say for us. And, and so I just ask you to kind of bow your heads and pray. Lord, I just pray uh, that each of us would hear something, that we would experience something this morning, this weekend, that would rock our world. I pray that you would help us to fight the familiarity of the Christmas story and that we would see just what an incredible display of love the baby Jesus is. I know this is just a little bit unusual, but I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Open my heart. Open my mind to what you have for me this morning in this Christmas season. Amen? All right, grab your Bibles. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2. I guess it's probably not a real common Christmas passage to go to, but I think it might be one of the best descriptions of the Christmas story that we have. We're going to look at this passage, and what this passage is going to do is it's going to explain to us why Christmas, right? So Jesus is the reason for the season, but what I want to talk about is what's the reason for the reason? And we're actually going to put that question up on the three screens in the middle because that's what we're chasing after today. And yes, I meant to say the reason for the reason. Jesus is the reason for the season, but what's the reason for the reason? A little bit of context because context, very good. I even prompted you I was going to do that later. Context matters. Hebrews is written to a group of believers. Some of them were, were Jewish believers. Some of them were Gentile believers. But they're probably written to them in Rome. And the, the believers were under intense persecution. And actually, if you know Roman history, this is really when the persecution of the church really began to, to ramp up and Christians were being killed. And so a lot of people were turning away from the Christian faith in a way to save themselves, right? They didn't want to go through the difficult things, so they were turning away from Christ. And so Hebrews is written to encourage those believers to stick with Jesus, actually to encourage them to say, look, having Jesus is way better than any problems you might have. And so it's also written to say, you have someone who is with you in your persecution. But that's kind of, if you were to say, what's the overarching reason for Hebrews? If you go back and read Hebrews, just know that's what they're writing for, to help the believers to stay fast, to stay true to their faith, even amidst incredible persecution. A persecution like we've never, it's not like people were talking bad of them. They were killing them, right? So this is, that's why the letter is written. One of the distinguishing aspects of Hebrews is it talks more about Jesus' humanity than any other book, Jesus being human. What does that mean? Why does it mean that? So that's why it makes for a good Christmas passage. But think about that. We're talking about Jesus being human, and then we're tying that to how that helps you to endure difficult seasons, to endure persecution, to endure whatever struggles you're going through. So even as we hear Paul talk about, for some of you, this is a hard season, Hebrews becomes a book that says, look, I can help you to navigate through a difficult season. I can help you to understand all that you 
have in Christ and what that means. So that's the context of Hebrews. So let me read Hebrews chapter two. I'm gonna read verses 14 through 18. The writer writes, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, talking about Jesus, likewise partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he's helped, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So the question we're chasing after is, what is the reason for the reason? Why the baby Jesus? Why the Christmas story at all? Look at verse 14. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. Stop right there. Share in flesh and blood just means, therefore, because you are human, flesh and blood is just talking about the human nature, who we are, because we are human, right? We are not disembodied spirits. We have flesh, we have blood. Because of that, keep reading verse 14, he himself likewise, he being Jesus, partook of the same thing. What's the same thing? Flesh and blood. Because we are human, he became human. And that's the first reason for the Christmas story. First reason for the baby Jesus, right? The reason for the reason is to be one of us, to be human. But why? Why the incarnation at all? Why did he have to become human? Because the problem he came to solve was a human problem. So Romans tells us that just as the curse came through one human, that's Adam, so the blessing or the removal of the curse had to come through one human, that's Jesus. That's kind of the theme of Romans. Curse came through humanity, and so it took humanity. So Jesus had to come in order to remove the curse. We have a problem. The problem is sin, and the only way to overcome our sin problem, we're gonna see this a little bit more as we unpack the passage, is to become one of us. I was talking to Pastor G about this in my office, and something, if you guys don't know this, he seems to know every quote from every famous or well-known Christian historian. I don't know where he holds all that in his brain, but anyway, he quotes some guy named St. Gregory, yeah, I'm like, cool. But here's the quote, and I love the quote. He said, and this is sort of Pastor G's version of St. Gregory. He said, that which he did not become, he could not redeem. Right? That which he did not become, he could not redeem. In other words, what he was saying is if he didn't become human like us, then he couldn't redeem humans like us. But it went further than that, and G was talking about it. like if he didn't have a human mind, then he couldn't redeem our human mind, if he didn't have a propensity towards or a, a sin, sin, a nature towards sin, then he wouldn't have been tempted, then he couldn't have redeemed that part of who we are. Everything that Jesus became, he became so that he could redeem that. It's a beautiful picture of why the incarnation. If you look at verse 17 of the passage that we read through, it says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Sometimes we just think, yeah, but that was Jesus. Yeah, but he was God. And it's, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. I get it. It's a theological truth that's hard to put together that he was fully God and fully human. But for this morning, you need to recognize he was like us in every respect. 
We are human, so he became human. So the second reason for the reason is found in verse 14. Three amazing and profound words that through death, don't miss this. I know it's Christmas. I know it's supposed to be a happy talk, but we have no Christmas without the cross, right? We, there, there is no celebrating the baby Jesus if we don't know the rest of the story. And, and so the second reason for the reason is he had to be human and he had to die. And what we need to realize is that the cross and the crucifixion wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't like things weren't working out and Jesus was like, well, these guys aren't listening to me. It's not going well. These Romans, they want to kill. Okay, what the heck? I might as well die. He came knowing all that was before him. He made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a man, knowing the cross. We see the cross in Genesis. We know this was God's plan. Before creation, the cross was a part of it. So it's not an afterthought. Jesus actually came to die. And that's important for us to hold on to. Jesus came to suffer like us. He came to feel pain, like us. He came to experience rejection, like us. He came to experience death, like us. It's the ultimate portrait of not just sacrifice, but it's an an incredible picture of empathy, of understanding. Jesus came, and and we're going to see it in, in the same book. He came so that he could relate to our struggles. I actually believe when we talk about the sacrifice that Jesus came to lay down his life for us, I actually believe that the gospel is hardwired. There's seeds of the gospel in every single person. As a matter of fact, that's why I think we have a, a, a leaning towards or a propensity towards stories of sacrifice. Great movies have the gospel somewhere in it where someone is willing to lay down their life for somebody else. Those are the best movies. So as a way of just getting you into that, I picked out some of the great movies and I want to just show you some clips of that storyline. Think about the the gospel thread that's in these storylines. You're going to love some of the pictures or the stories that I picked. So let's show that video.
major cinema accomplishments. Right, but we're actually drawn towards those kind of stories. I don't know, there's one that I wanted to show, but it was too graphic with the, the younger kids in the room. But if you saw Hacksaw Ridge, right, Desmond Doss, this guy who's a conscientious observer or objection, objectioner, what's the right word there? Yes, anyway, he decides that he's gonna volunteer World War II, but he doesn't carry a gun, becomes a medic. Uh, story of him just running into fire over and over to save his troops. If you watch the movie, it's very graphic. I'm not suggesting that you watch the movie. I'm just telling you, our hearts are drawn towards those kind of stories. Why? Because I think there's a seed of the gospel in all of us. So even people who don't know Jesus are drawn towards those pictures of sacrifice. And as much as we're moved by the heroes of those stories, whether it's Buzz Lightyear or Wreck-It Ralph, happen to be my favorites, right? Uh, we're moved by those stories. They all pale in comparison to Jesus, right? And, and what I would say to you is no one has ever moved further. No one has ever covered more ground. No one has ever sacrificed more. No one has ever had so much and gave up so much for a people, right? So, so when those stories grab you, just, just remember Jesus' sacrifice. So I wanted to point out just for a minute some of the wonders of the incarnation, some of the things that I've been reflecting on this Christmas season. So I thought about bringing my grandbaby up here, partly just because I could and I like to show them off, but they're not here today. We'll talk about that later. But anyway, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, have you ever held a baby and just thought about Jesus became a baby and just the vulnerability of becoming a baby, right? Totally dependent on someone else. This is the one who created everything with just a word, became a baby. But for some reason this year, as I was actually finishing up school and doing the things I've been doing, I've been reading about the incarnation, and it just sort of hit me. He didn't just become a baby. He became an embryo. Right? Whatever is vulnerable about a baby, there's even more vulnerability than an embryo. Right? The, the one who knits babies together in the mother's womb was being knit together. We know that Mary carried Jesus. But just think about that. The God of the universe was formed in the womb of a person, right? It's a pretty amazing picture. Mary carried him for nine months. The other thing that I've been thinking about, and I don't know if you know this, but, and I think if, if you want me to, I could meet you after church and explain how I know this is what the scriptures tell us, but you know Jesus is still incarnate? Like now? And forever? So the sacrifice he made to become like us, he's still making. It wasn't like he said, well, I'll do it, but it's going to last me 32, 33 years, and then I get to go back to where I was. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. He is what we'll be. We will become like him in every way. The scriptures are pretty clear. What he sacrificed, he sacrificed for eternity forward to be like us. It's an amazing picture of the Christmas story, isn't it? The reason for the reason, to be human like us, to die like us. But look at the last part of verse 14. It says that through his death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, this is really hard for us to wrap our minds around, but Jesus had to die to destroy death. He died to give us life. And he had to become human in order to die because you can't kill God. Unless, of course, God is willing to humble himself and become human. So the only way to experience death was to become like us in every way and to then die on the cross. But he came to destroy the devil. 
And so what you need to see there is the word destroy in, in the original context doesn't mean to do away with. It actually means to render powerless. Jesus came to render Satan powerless. Satan has no power in your life. Do you know that? Satan has no power over you, that God has given you everything you need for life and for godliness. Everything that you need. People come to me and they're struggling with bad decisions or sin patterns. And this is what I hear commonly. Well, it was too much for me. I couldn't help myself. And to that I say poppycock. Because the scriptures say he has no power over you. And we need to recognize that Satan has no power over us. The reason for the reason. He came to be one of us, to be human. He came to die. He came to destroy the devil. But the reason for the reason wasn't just to destroy the devil, but to give us a sense of insurance, assurance. Look at verse 15. And deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We not only have victory in this life, but we have victory in the life ahead, that we have something called eternal life given to us so we don't have to have fear of death. And imagine if you didn't know the gospel. Imagine if you didn't know Jesus, how scary death could be and how much it would become slavery for you. So he came to set us free from that. There's a poem that I love that's written by John Donay. It's written in the 1600s, and I'm not going to read the whole poem for you, but I want to read the first, the opening stanza and the, and the closing stanza. But these are the words written in 1600. The poem is called Death Be Not Proud. It says, Death be not proud, though some have called you mighty and dreadful, for you art not so. And then it ends with these words, and death shall be no more. Death, even you, shall die. Death has no power in our lives, right? We have nothing to fear if we know Jesus. That's the power of the Christmas story. Jesus came to overcome sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, right? So, the reason for the reason to be one of us, to be human, to die. He had to be human, to die, to destroy the devil. So the devil is, is just left powerless in our lives to deliver us from death. But I love this. So I think the Hebrews writer was saying, hey, just so you know, it's not just about then. It's about now as well. And sometimes in our Christian lives, we see everything as how it's going to be. We, we think of our coming to Christ as some kind of insurance policy that gets us there. But the writer of Hebrews wanted to say to him, remember why he's writing to him. He's writing to help people who are in difficult seasons. Some of you are in difficult seasons saying, look, Christ came to give you life now and later. That there's both now and the future. So look at verse 17. It says, he, he did this to help the offspring of Abraham. Just so you know, that's you and I. We are the offspring of Abraham. He became one of us so that he might become merciful, faithful, high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered and was tempted, he's able to help those of us who are being tempted as well. Later on in Hebrews, we read these words in chapter 4. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. In other words, great high priest who has become human. That's Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest that is unable to sympathize or have empathy with our weakness. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence... Draw near to God. Let us go to God with confidence, knowing that Jesus knows what we're going through, that we may save mercy 
and find grace in our times of need. So, the reason for the reason, to be one of us, to be human, to die, to destroy the power of the devil, to deliver us from death, and to be our help in times of need. The Christmas story is both for now and for later. If you look at this list, you begin to realize that we have victory. The reason for the reason is victory. Victory over death, victory over sin, victory over anxiety, victory over stress, victory over all the things that, that lay on us, that there is victory in this. Remember, a book that is written to the people who are under intense persecution to help them in their time of need. Victory now and victory later. The gospel is not just about an insurance policy for later. So we're gonna do something a little bit different than we all sometimes do, but John's gonna come. I think the ladies are gonna come and sing with him, and we're just gonna sing some Christmas music here as a way of ending. But I wanna just invite you uh, to come down. If there is something in your life right now that you need to experience victory over, then I want you to take a risk and just come down and say, this Christmas season, I need victory over. You fill in the blank. It could even just be the weight of something that's happened. I know some of your stories, some of you have had rough years. The last 2017 has been a year of loss or pain. I just encourage you to come and let one of the prayer people here just pray over you. Pray that you would receive the peace of God, that you would receive what God has for you in the midst of that. Some of you, maybe it is a sin pattern that you just can't seem to break. I think God wants to break it this Christmas season. Some of you, like Laura Jackson 15 years ago, may just need to say, I just need Jesus. And so we just encourage you to come down and pray. If the prayer people would come on down and just be here when they come, that would be great. And I'm gonna pray for you as John gets ready to lead us in one more song. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the fact that you came to give us life, eternal life, and this is eternal life, that you know me and the Father that sent me. Help us to know you more. Help us to receive the victory that comes with knowing you more. Lord, you told us that in this world we're gonna have trouble, but not to fear because you've overcome the world. So I pray for the people in the room today they just need a touch from you, that they would be bold enough to slip out of their seats and come down and just allow us to pray over them as we sing one more song. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.
my invitation to you is just to continue to come. They'll be down here if you want prayer. Uh, just slip out as people are going their way. If you are leaving, I just encourage you to save the conversation for the lobby. Stay as long as you like and talk in the lobby, but there are people who are going to be praying here. So Lord, thank you. Thank you that you really are the reason for the season and that there was so much thought as to why the baby, why the story of Christmas. I pray that you would just uh, fill us with the wonder of the incarnation. That's this in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas. Be blessed.